Amen. Gosh, there is so much going on in the world. Um, I'm excited to get into this sermon, but before I do, I just want to acknowledge we have so many military personnel as a part of this community of faith. Um, We have so many of you that are civilians that work for the military, and uh, many of you that I've spoken with that have spent substantial time in Afghanistan. And I know that I, any words I can come up with are going to fall painfully short for what you must be experiencing right now. Like I know for you, this is not just another sad news story. You're thinking of people you've met over there, the efforts that have been made, and we just want to say that we see you and we're grateful for you. We see you. Thank you. Yeah. All right, let's jump in here. When I say the words power, fame, fear, spiritual trauma, I doubt that church is typically what comes to your mind in connection to those things. But sadly, these are problems faced across the spectrum of churches in America. I've been following a really eye-opening podcast that tells a sad church story about a huge church in Seattle that experienced a lot of those things. This church story began as something really beautiful, a small group of people seeking God together, they're meeting in homes, it grows overnight into a mega church. Lives are changed. But the story of the rise and fall of this particular church is ultimately about how ugly church can become. Specifically, when we insist on building the church around one person, and that one person believes they have all the answers. We all know even church can be ugly because it involves humans, and we get pretty messy sometimes. This church story is nothing new. If we take a look at the very first church the very first churches in Acts, we would quickly find some really beautiful things taking place in the beginning. These churches also started in people's homes. The Holy Spirit of the living God descends upon them in equal measure. You can read about that in Acts chapter 2. And these first followers, they're the new temple, the people in whom the powerful divine presence truly dwells. The movement of God moved outwards from these home churches, beginning in Jerusalem, spreading into Judea, and then onwards into the wider world, ending up with Paul in Rome, announcing God as King and Jesus as Lord, openly and unhindered, under the nose of Caesar himself. Can you imagine being there, experiencing this beautiful and world-changing movement of God in person? At that time, these people were the ideal portrait of the church. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were committed to fellowship and prayer. They were performing miracles. They were selling their possessions, giving to those in need, growing daily in number. These first churches were charismatic, sacramental, and evangelical all at once. Just beautiful but they instantly ran into problems 
that attempted to erode its beauty. Someone pointed out that one of the most vulnerable groups of people, widows, were being overlooked. This is in Acts chapter 6, not four chapters after this beautiful thing started. Acceptance in the group began to be questioned if you weren't the right race. Some felt the net was being cast out too wide. A lot of reasons to walk away, hurt and disappointed. The church experiences those same struggles today. Our problems have not changed much. Without intentionality, we drift away from the beautiful purpose of a community of God's people. God constantly has to recapture the beautiful things for us, drawing us back to what matters most. We want to be consistently recapturing what matters most to keep church beautiful around here. So we're spending two weeks focusing on who God is shaping us to be at Pulpit Rock and where we're going. Last week, Jonathan talked about this question, what makes Pulpit Rock distinct? What has over the years become the center of why we do the things we do? We talked about what can make church really ugly and how we choose the alternative to those things that tend to trap churches and get in the way of the gospel. So this morning, we're going to expound on that. Now that we know what makes us distinct, we're going to spend some time talking about what it means to participate in this faith community. There are a few things that we are confident the Holy Spirit of God is leading us to as a community, things that reflect the beauty of God's church. And to participate in this community of faith means a willingness to participate in these three things. Here's the tension we're going to feel with this. We're going to be able to identify the tendency we all have to take a posture of holding back as opposed to a posture of leaning in when it comes to these three things we believe the Spirit is leading us to. And I want each of us to try to identify why we each do that. You may even be someone who has walked away from these things. Can I tell you one more church story? I walked away from these three things I'm going to talk about today. I walked away from them. There was a time in my life I was ready to walk away from church for good. And I walked away and I stayed away for years. I walked away for several reasons, but a few were more prominent. One, I got really disenchanted with how shallow the focus on behavior management felt to me. I was being taught all these behaviors or disciplines I was supposed to be developing. And I could keep them up for a while, but I would inevitably lose steam. And I felt like these behaviors didn't change anything about my inner life anyway. Another reason I walked away was this one is kind of complex. I'm going to try to explain it. People can be jerks. And church people seemed especially so. That's so heartbreaking. Community is hard. You have to fight for it. And it's hard to do that when the people in the community are just acting like jerks. Another reason I walked away was because fear seemed to be a key motivator in church a lot of times. I grew weary of that. And it just didn't sit well with me. So, surprise, I came back to church. I did. 
I spent a few years away, but I came back. And the church I came back to was Pulpit Rock Church. God has used this place to remind me of the true beauty of the church of God and to remind me that I'm created to experience some things with you all in community. And when the church consistently upholds the true beautiful essence of what a community of faith should be, people don't walk away from it. Or if they do, they can't, they can't stay away. They find themselves drawn back to it. When the church captures that beauty and fights for it and protects it, the people in that community of faith grow from just being members on a roster to being full-on participants, leaders, a true part of the bigger thing, not just a warm body filling a seat on Sundays. And so when we talk about what it means to belong here, we don't use the word membership. We think this is really more about participation, participating in the life and ways of Jesus alongside each other as we all grow and evolve in our journeys together. That's what you're longing for. If you have yet to engage in that, you're going to find this sitting in church on Sundays thing kind of lacking. So we're not asking you to commit to the institution or the place of Pulpit Rock. We're asking you to commit to being a part of the people of Pulpit Rock, to protect these things about our community that are beautiful and draw our hearts in, because it turns out we were created for them, and we were created to experience them together. This is the story of God. This is the story of God, and it starts in the hearts of his people. The movement of the Spirit of God begins in the hearts of his people, not from up here just because there's a pulpit. It starts out there, and that's beautiful. That's a picture of church the way God intended it to be. We're asking you to participate in that. Spirit, would you guide us as we consider what you're leading us to personally and as a community this morning? All right, here's what participation looks like here. We ask that you participate in formation. We believe that each of us is responsible for our own growth journey spiritually, where we are actively seeking to grow in our journey of following Jesus, and we're not relying on someone else to direct that. Let me give you an example. As a parent, there are a lot of things I want my kids to believe about God. Like, so much so, the tendency is really there for me to force-feed it to them. You know what I mean, parents? Like, it's so important. Like, eat your vegetables. Follow God. This is like a headlock. I'm like force-feeding them. I really don't do that, I promise. But man, oh, I have that tendency. But here's what I'm learning in parenthood. As much as I want my kids to believe certain things about God because I know they're good for them and good for their lives, What I want more than that is for them to come to that conclusion themselves. Not because they've just accepted some version of faith that I've force-fed them. I want their faith to be their own. And if that's what I want for them, then I need to leave space for them to make their journey their own. I need to refrain from giving them all the answers I think I have and teach them to rely on the Spirit's guidance, to recognize God's voice. 
how to navigate these things without me telling them how I think they should do it. If this is what I want for them, I shouldn't tell them what to think. I should teach them how to think. But there's got to be room for them to make it their own. I'm a poor substitute for the Holy Spirit in my kids' lives. And I do believe that's how God leads each of us, his children. He guides us to a place we can discover him for ourselves. So we want to operate in that same way with each other here. We're not going to tell you what to think about God. Then you're just adopting someone else's faith. We want to talk about how to think about God so we can learn to navigate these journeys for ourselves. The Holy Spirit of God, the same Spirit that hovered over the chaos and darkness over the surface of the deep before time began, that Spirit dwells in you. You are capable of accessing the Spirit's guidance in your life. In fact, that is sacredly yours. We do a disservice if we ever try to play that role in each other's lives. So let's look honestly for the tension in this. Do you have a tendency to hold back on your own spiritual formation? What might that look like in each of our lives? Have you, like me, walked away from that process entirely at one point? I think sometimes it can be this thing that Jonathan mentioned last week, a misunderstanding as church people have a tendency to believe that our spiritual formation depends on our ability to practice spiritual disciplines and obey commands. There's this weight placed on these outward behaviors as if they are what spiritual formation is. And that's frustrating because when we start there, our outward behavior, we're not going to experience true heart change. We'll become disenchanted and are likely to walk away from that. And I'll be honest, good behavior is not what my heart is longing for. You know what my heart longs for? Wholeness, healing, acceptance, freedom, victory. Outward behaviors can be signs of spiritual formation, but true formation is tied to embracing our identity in Christ, and that starts in our hearts, not with our outward behavior. And that's a much more vulnerable approach Because we have to admit, we get squirmish when people start poking around in our hearts. Because of that, maybe we just avoid this form of participation altogether, even though it's what we long for. Sometimes we settle for the discomfort that we're most familiar with, instead of facing the discomfort that actually leads us to what we're longing for. I do that all the time. What a tragic tendency. I guess it boils down to fear. Like, we don't want others to see what we've got going on in here, so we don't let anyone in. Gosh, without realizing it, it may even be that we're not allowing ourselves to see what's going on inside. Paul says this insanely beautiful truth about this and about the Spirit in his letter to the Ephesians. His Holy Spirit 
moving and breathing in you is the most intimate part of your life, making you fit for himself. Don't take such a gift for granted. Another version of this verse says, the Spirit has marked us with a seal. Back then, a seal denoted ownership, security. The Holy Spirit gives us security. We don't have to be afraid as we take this journey inward. You have what you need to take responsibility for your spiritual growth. You have the most intimate and greatest gift to guide you into the wonder of self-discovery and spiritual formation. You will need some courage and a whole lot of vulnerability and some bravery because for each of us to take ownership of our own spiritual growth and formation, we do need a willingness to take that long journey inward and by guidance of the Spirit to look honestly at what we find inside. We need to be willing to commit to healing and to health in our hearts and minds. This is the Spirit's desire to lead you to those things. It's our desire that you be willing to go there and participate in that alongside each other with us. Would you be willing to consider that that is something beautiful that your heart is longing for? Committing to the people of Pulpit Pulpit Rock also means participating in healthy relationships. Last week, we addressed this heartbreaking reality that the greatest cause of people walking away from the church is not really the lure of the world. It's more often bad experiences with other Christians and with churches. I have walked away from church because of that. How that story tends to play out with the same narrative is this. Christians in church are abusive and unloving, and they often use their Bibles as weapons against other image bearers. And they think it's okay because they're just speaking truth. This ideological approach to humans is not the gospel of Jesus. This ideological approach is an example of Christians clinging way too tightly to some ideal outside of Jesus Christ as Savior and using Scripture itself to excuse the harmful behavior. We can do better than that. That is not beautiful, and we believe it grieves God deeply. Jesus warned the Jewish leaders about this very thing when they were trying to kill him for the sake of their ideals. We read this scripture last week, and we feel like it's really important to us and who we want to be. So I want us to look at it again. Jesus says to them, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I love the messages version of this verse and the verses that follow. You have your heads in your Bibles constantly because you think you'll find eternal life there, but you miss the forest for the trees. These scriptures are all about me. And here I am, standing right before you, and you aren't willing to receive from me the life you say you want. I'm not interested in crowd approval. Do you know why? 
because I know you and your crowds. I know that love, especially God's love, is not on your working agenda. I came with the authority of my father and you either dismiss me or avoid me. If another came acting self-important, you would welcome him with open arms. How do you expect to get anywhere with God when you spend all your time jockeying for position with each other, ranking your rivals, and ignoring God? People don't walk away from healthy, loving, Jesus-centered communities of faith. They walk away from communities whose relationships have become divisive and toxic because they've lost sight of the good news and they're focused on their ideals. Communities like that are not participating in healthy relationships. We believe that to participate in healthy relationships means relating to others with humility and grace, allowing others to think for themselves and trusting that the Spirit is at work in their lives, seeing and loving people for who they are, understanding we are all on a journey allowing others to verbalize their questions or their ideas without labeling those people as dangerous, allowing room for struggle and failure, no matter how complex or how ugly, placing no one outside the scope of God's love. Now that's beautiful, wouldn't you agree? People don't walk away from relationships like that. That's the type of relationships we want to be participating in here. So what's the tension we feel with this beautiful way of participating? Why would we ever hold back on that? I think it's hard for us to remain in fellowship with others who don't believe exactly what we believe, plain and simple. Our egos are fragile. Our feelings are sensitive. Our defenses go up. We say this a lot around here. We are a place of mixed beliefs. I love that about this place. That's so healthy. We've got something really special here. That's hard to find in churches. That's hard to find anywhere. Where in our culture do we see healthy examples of mixed belief and committed fellowship? Where do we see that? I mean, besides the obvious, like besides Facebook, we all know it exists there, right? It's bad. Don't go there. <laughs> I just don't know where you find that in our society today. We're so polarized. It's so unhealthy. But we have that here. And it's beautiful. And doesn't that give your heart hope? We want to protect that. We want to ask you to participate in that with us. We hold on to Jesus the Christ tightly. But everything that falls outside of that, we hold with humility, making room for everyone at the table. And the world around us won't understand that because the world around us really struggles to have healthy relationships when disagreements on issues are present. Because we have this tendency to care about issues more than we care about people, that is a very costly tendency. And we cut ourselves off from the connection our hearts are truly longing for when we prioritize our ideals over love. 
So we have to work at this. We have to protect the important thing that brings us together, our belief in Jesus, our Savior. And we have to fight against the tendency to let these less important things divide us. These verses in Titus capture this so well from the message. I want you to put your foot down. Take a firm stand on these matters so that those who have put their trust in God will concentrate on the essentials that are good for everyone. Stay away from mindless, pointless quarreling over genealogies and fine print in the law code that gets you nowhere. Would you make the choice to participate in healthy relationships with us, working at community that is a reflection of God's love, kindness, and grace? Are those things your heart longs for? Being a participant here also means participating in partnership. I have been so blessed recently by a new friend of ours, Caitlin Shess. Caitlin's an author. We have her book in our bookstore. You should check that out. She's done some guest blogging and speaking for us. Um, and she did a, an Easy Yoke bonus content sermon that's online in our sermons. And if you have not watched that, I highly recommend you go find it. It's in our sermons. She talks about a moment in that sermon, in her spiritual journey, when a mentor asked her this question, and it kind of blew my mind, and I want to pose this question to you today. What is your salvation for? What is your salvation for? I had never really thought about that before. A much younger and narrow-minded me would have been able to point to one thing. My salvation is to keep me out of hell when I die. And actually, it's probably for convincing others they need it too, so they won't go to hell when they die. Like their blood is on my hands if I don't convince them of this thing. And there was a time in my journey I wouldn't have been able to come up with much else than that. And I'll tell you, that lame answer to this amazing question contributed to me walking away from the church. Because my heart longs to be a part of something significant while I'm living my life here on earth. I want my life to matter, and I don't want to be driven to that out of fear. Fear of eternal punishment in hell is certainly motivating, but it just doesn't stick. It didn't stick with me. We were created for so much more than that. Eventually, our hearts begin to see through that and see it for what it really is. That's a form of control. What I'm learning through participating in this community of faith is that my salvation is for others. We tell our students this all the time. You find your life as you give it away. Jesus says this in Mark, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Let's lose, lose ourselves together for the sake of Jesus and for the sake of the gospel. That's beautiful. And if I can find myself in that process, sign me up. Because I don't know about you, I can so easily feel lost in this world. Don't we all long for something significant to do with our lives? I want to be a part of something that matters, something that makes a difference now while I'm here on earth. This stuff that God is doing here on earth, 
the stuff that matters, it will go on whether we get involved or not. The movement of God's work in the world does not rely on you and me making it happen. But the risk of us becoming disenchanted with all of this does rely on us and whether we truly engage or not. Because just sitting in these seats on Sundays is not what we were created for. If you're disenchanted with that, there's a reason. You were created for more than just this, what we're doing now. I can share story after story of you all and this beautiful spiritual mystery of partnership and joining God in what he is doing. So many of you partner by volunteering in our ministries, serving as small group leaders with our kids or our students, offering to share your story to the next generation. One of our women shared with me her harrowing story of how pornography and sexual addiction tried to rip her inner life apart when she was a teenager. She had no one to talk to about it. She said, Susie, I have a story. I have something to give to teenagers because this is a story they need to hear from a loving adult who's been through it. She has shared her story, serves as one of our small group leaders in our youth group, beautiful, lasting impact being made, teenagers' lives changed by a willingness to participate in partnership. I want my daughters around a woman like that. I want my daughters to hear a woman like that tell her story in church. She's living out her formation. So many of you partner with us financially. You people are so generous. We are sending hundreds of thousands of dollars outside these walls every year. We see that God is moving in big ways in our neighborhoods, our city, our world. There's something about the combining of our finances that God is using. But the money you give has great impact inside the walls of our community too. Lives are being changed, healthy community is being found, and that spills out into the lives of the people around us where we live, work, and play. There are more stories than I can keep up with of our people contributing little things here and there, helping someone with an unexpected move, providing meals for weary families, financial and prayer support through hard times. This community has a great value in the next generation, not waiting until they're adults to partner with us. For years, I have watched our teenagers find their confidence and purpose by serving alongside us in our kids' ministry environments. Our students teach each other by speaking in youth group or by preaching up here on stage like Gabby did a few weeks ago. We offer something significant for the next generation to do and they're going to find themselves. They're going to understand they have a significant place in this community when they are given the opportunity to partner with us. And they don't have to wait until they're adults to experience that. We have families who partner with us by coming to the wood shop to serve together, building or delivering bunk beds to foster kids. We have people with a heart for missions or a heart for a certain place in the world traveling with us to Thailand, Lebanon, Ethiopia, Haiti, 
We have people who don't feel led to go on those trips, but they care deeply, so they partner with us financially or by covering the teams in prayer. I could be up here for the rest of the day telling stories like this about how you all are doing this. It's beautiful. And while it's nice for someone on stage to highlight these things, I just want to point out that God sees it and he delights in it because it's changing us and it's changing others. And that's what our salvation is for. That's something I want to be a part of. I know it is for you too. I know that's stirring truth inside of you because it's beautiful and we're drawn to God's beauty. Why would we ever hold back from participating in that? I think sometimes we may think we don't have anything to offer. I think sometimes we can be protective of our time or our finances or our stories. And I think that this boils down to a lack of trust, a lack of trust in God. When we don't trust God with what he's given us, we hold back. God knows this about us. This tendency, it's true of us now. It's always been true of humanity. It's always been true of God's people. The prophet Malachi addresses this when he says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. This is an accurate picture of this community of faith. Luke and his team are having to build sheds out in the alley because we're running out of room to store the generosity of you people in the form of donations for families in need. It's beautiful. We invite you to join us in participating in God's work in the world by investing your resources of time, money, talents with the people of Pulpit Rock. Your financial gifts are so important. Would you be willing to have a conversation with God about whether he wants you to give financially or to adjust the amount you already give? Now, I know some of you are like, there it is. They're asking for my money. When you give here, we want you to do so because God leads you to it. And we are sincere about that. It's between you and God. We ask you just to have the conversation with him. Would you be willing to have that same conversation with God about how you could volunteer your time here in our ministries, volunteering on the hospitality team or in our missions endeavors, or by serving as a small group leader in our youth ministry or our kids' ministry? I remember dropping my young kids off at church years ago on our very first visit to a church, and I was filling out the visitor information card And I came to a statement that said something like this. We expect every parent to volunteer in our kids' ministry once a month. Which weekend would you like to sign up for? And I was like, gosh, they'll let anybody fill these roles. I don't know if that's the best idea. We don't want just anybody filling these roles. We want the people who God is leading to them. And we are sincere about that.
Would you be willing to just ask God about these things? Would you trust him with what he has given you, whatever that means in your life, and see if he will not throw open the floodgates and pour out his blessing? We invite you to pray about your participation at Pulpit Rock. Whether you're new around here or you've been here for years, we ask you to consider these things we feel the Spirit is leading us to participate in. This is not about committing to attend. This is about participating in. We want this to be a yearly rhythm for our people, creating a cycle of recapturing these beautiful things about the body of Christ, reminding us of who we are. We have to be intentional about these healthy things or we naturally drift away from them. So I want to ask you if you'll do something. If you'll take out that card in front of you, and let's just take a look at it together. It's in the, the pocket in the seat back in front of you. It's red. If you're online, a host is going to share a link so you can engage with this information and take part. You can also find the link to this card in your text bulletin if you'd rather look at it on your phone. We want you to be a part of this amazing group of people. We want you here. This is what it means to be here. Would you be willing to ask God, do you want me to commit to being a part of the people of Pulpit Rock this year? You can fill that out now. You can take it home. You can talk about it and pray about it with your people. We want to make space for a time of response to the Holy Spirit, whatever the Spirit is leading you to. I think these could be powerful moments for us individually and for us as a community of faith. But you have to choose to engage with the Spirit. Or you may find yourself just sitting in these seats on Sundays, missing out on the great purpose that your heart is longing for, and losing sight of the beauty that we as a community of faith are meant for. I know I've asked you to consider a lot of things this morning. In closing, I want to encourage you to honor the sacred flame that is already burning inside of you and leading you. You don't need someone standing on stage at a pulpit to tell you where to go. The good news is that the kingdom of God is not some destination to visit. It's being built within our very midst. Remove your sandals and recognize that what is holy is not some plot of land we build a building on or some place we go to be with God when we die, but the very interior ground of being from which you stand and from where the Holy Spirit of God dwells in you. And that same Spirit of God dwells in the same way in the person sitting next to you and the person sitting next to them. Look around this entire room full of people. This is true of everyone in here. If we were to consider a visual of that, I imagine it would look like tongues of fire flame dancing above each and every soul present in this room. It sounds familiar. What a beautiful picture of the church of God, how he intended it to be. What is already burning in you? What is already calling to you? What identity have you ignored for so long that you've forgotten who you even were? 
Maybe the most sacred response today is to accept this invitation, to listen to the voice inside of you. If you're hearing something inside of you, I can assure you it's not me. It's the Spirit leading you to something. I ask you to prayerfully consider if you would like to participate in what the Spirit is leading us to as a community, as the people of this place. If you would like to participate with us in some things that we were created for.
benediction today, I want to read some words from Paul from Ephesians. It's in the end of chapter 3 and the beginning of chapter 4. And Paul actually wrote these words while he was in Roman custody. He had been accused of bringing a Gentile, someone who didn't belong, into the temple. And I love what he says in these verses. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power, that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Follow Jesus.